And turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. That's on page 762 and 763 of your church Bibles. It's also in uh, your service sheet if you want to follow along there. Uh, we're, we've finished uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, this, this extended sermon that Jesus gave. Uh, and now we see what happens uh, after that, after when he, when he comes down uh, from the mountain. Matthew chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 17. And this is, this is God's word. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. How do we know the, the queen has authority to be the queen? I mean, she, was, she was born with it, wasn't she? Uh, technically speaking. But how do we recognize it? Well, we recognize it because she has a crown, doesn't she? That's the symbol of all her authority. That's what we can, we can look at and, and know that when she makes a decree, even though most of the decrees she makes nowadays are the decrees the government tells her to make, but we know when she makes a decree or she gives royal assent to a, to a law, she has the authority to do that. Because she was crowned. Now the passage before us this morning is, is all about the authority of Jesus. That's the main thing that, that Matthew wants us to see this morning. He's, Jesus has just finished uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew tells us that he has come down from the mountain. And during the sermon we, we began to get a sense of his authority, didn't we? Through the, the words that, that he was saying. And if you were with us as, as we walk through the sermon, uh, you, you heard last week uh, when we finished that, that the crowd was astonished 
with the words that Jesus had said. And I hope that you too were astonished by just how compelling Jesus' teaching is. Now as Jesus comes down the mountain over the the next two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, Matthew presents us with a a series of ten miracles. And each of these is is actually a a gospel in miniature. And Matthew presents us with the the mark of, of Jesus' authority straight away. Jesus doesn't wear a crown. Rather, we see his authority in the works of his healing. As Matthew concludes with the words of Isaiah, we we see his authority in that he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. And what I hope we see this morning is that that the healings that that came about weren't based on the the worthiness of the person who who approached Jesus. Rather, it was based on the the worthiness of the one who, who was approached. And there's three things for us to see this morning on, in these three scenes. First, the authority of Jesus in the inside outer. Second, the authority of Jesus in the outside occupier. And third, the authority of Jesus, the divine insider. I learned this week that you can make new words by hyphenating two words. That's fun, isn't it? But first of all, the, the authority of Jesus... And the inside outer. So Jesus comes down from the mountain, and, and who's the first person that he meets? he meets? He meets this man with leprosy. And the thing to understand about this man is that he's, he's a local. He was a, a Jewish man. He was, he was one of, of the people who would have, would have identified as, as belonging to God's people, one of the people who, who Jesus had been sent to as the Messiah. But this man has a very big problem. He has this, this disease, leprosy. And leprosy in Jesus' day wasn't necessarily the disease that we we've, may have heard about today. In today's medical terminology, leprosy is, is something very rare and something very specific. But you see leprosy all throughout the Bible. Because in Jesus' day, the term was applied to a multitude of skin disorders. And sometimes people were, were uh, they would go away, they would, they would be healed from them. But other times, like this man... It would be a long-term disease, often debilitating. But the impact of this disease on, on the life of this man within his society was probably as bad or, or perhaps even worse than the disease itself. He was considered unclean. He was a man who, who wasn't to be touched by anyone. He would have to, to cover his head and his face if he went out As he walked around, he would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, to warn people that if they got near him, if they accidentally bumped into him, then that person would then be unclean as well. Even if they didn't catch the disease themselves, they'd have to to spend some time away from everyone else. They would have to wash themselves. They would have to appear before the priest to be declared clean again before they could go about their lives. A leper like this man wasn't even allowed to enter the major cities of of his world. He was forbidden to enter a a walled city in Israel. He was a citizen, but he was very much second class, probably more like third or, or fourth class. Even the rabbis, the religious leaders, the the people who were who were charged with with teaching the word of God were required to keep the equivalent of about six feet or, or two meters from a leper. It's first century social distancing, isn't it? 
but limited to a very few people. In fact, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever preached this, this passage before to a, a group of people who could relate to this leper in the way that we can. We know what it is to have to, to ostracize one another, don't we? And to be ostracized, to have to, keep, to have to keep two meters away for fear of catching a disease, to have to, to isolate if we got pinged as a close contact of a person with a disease until we were declared clean after you know, seven to ten days. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. And I'm not making a political statement. I, and I'm not saying whether it was right or wrong for us to, to do that. We've, we've, uh, you know, we've lived under restrictions for a long time. And I know there's, there's different opinions in this room on that. So let's be gracious to each other. It, I, I'm, not, I'm not making a statement on that. What I'm simply wanting us to see is that we can on some level relate to this leper. What this man suffered, though, was, was probably about ten times worse than what, what we suffered. But we can still understand it, can't we, on some level? I think we can also say on this that, that the last two years should also cause us to be really humble about, about how we look at and relate to the culture that, that would do this to a person. We often uh, come to, to a passage like this and we read about the, the hardship of a leper and we, we act like we're, we're smarter or better than, than these people in, in the first century. That we understand disease in a, in a more profound way than they did. But actually what we've learned from, from the last two years with, with COVID is that we don't understand as much as we thought. And actually that, that these people weren't completely crazy or mean-spirited. They were simply doing what comes natural when, when you're scared of a, of a potentially deadly disease. And in fact, they were, they were also trying to be obedient to God's word, to God's law from the Old Testament, which was put in place in part for hygiene, to protect people from disease. We can understand now why this man, though, was, was in the wilderness and why he had to approach Jesus after he came down from this mountain before he enters into a city. He's a man who's sick and alone, yet he comes to Jesus in faith. Look at verse 2. What's he say to Jesus? He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And notice two aspects about this faith. First, it, it isn't presumptuous, is it? He acknowledges that, that Jesus, God, actually has a will of his own. He has a plan for, for everyone, and, and we can't presume to know who he wants to heal. So this man comes humbly acknowledging God's independence. That, that Jesus can do as he likes. And if he wants to, he can heal him. But he also comes confident, doesn't he? He says, you can make me clean. He actually recognizes Jesus' authority over disease, doesn't he? That he can make him whole and clean. It's simply a matter of, is it the will of God? And we should actually stop for a second and and reflect upon how we tend to approach God. This should challenge how we come before him. I think many of us want to, to approach God and say, I'll, I'll believe in you if you do this thing for me that I want. And if what we, what we want happens to, to come to pass, then we believe in him, at, at least until the next thing that we want comes along. And then the cycle happens again. And if we don't get what we want, then, then we reject him, don't we? This leper, this man ostracized by his society, this man who has suffered so much, 
actually shows us what true faith is. That it's trusting in the real true God who has a plan and a will all of his own. And we may or may not line up with, it may or may not line up with our desires. But he has a plan for you and for me. And we can come to him with confidence that he can do the things we would like him to do. But we should come to him not demanding that he do so. It's like when the the Apostle Paul talked about uh, the thorn in his flesh, the thing we don't know what it was, but but this thing that he, he prayed consistently for God to relieve him of. And God's response to, to this apostle, this, this man who, who, who uh, received and proclaimed God's word, was simply that my grace is sufficient for you. In the case of the leper, Jesus gives him amazing healing. In the case of Paul, he says, no, you gotta, you got to live with this. My grace is sufficient. But Jesus does something remarkable here, doesn't he? He tells this man that, that he wants to make him make him well that he desires for him to be clean and then he does something even more remarkable he he touches this man who is untouchable now understand how unprecedented this is even if you look back at the old testament you see uh you see actually two prominent cases of leprosy one was when miriam the the sister of moses was struck with leprosy and she was healed But until she was healed, uh, Moses, the man of God, never touched her. The second example from the Old Testament was when when Naaman, this this outsider, heard about a prophet, Elisha, in Israel. He he would be able to make him well. He was leprous. And so he, he comes to Elisha, and all he wants is for Elisha to touch him and heal him. But Elisha doesn't do that. He makes him go and wash in the Jordan River. He never touches this man, even though he longed to be touched. You see, the the touch of Jesus here is actually incredibly significant. It's actually, it's astounding, this touch. Because in this touch, we see the identifying love of God. And this touch is the gospel. It's the touch that tells us that that God entered into our world, into our brokenness and disease, and he, he sympathizes with us. And he desires to heal us. See, what Jesus says to this man, what he says to all of us this morning is, is bring your disease. Bring your, your deepest, the, the deepest uncleanness your heart can offer. And come humbly and confidently and ask him to heal you to touch you and to make you clean. That's the gospel that we see here. Your your Savior invites you to come to Him and to find in Him your your healing from sin. And He does it because He does it because He can. He does it because He wants to. And He does it because there's, there's no disease too great to stand up under His healing touch. Now lastly on this point, notice notice what Jesus then tells this man to do. Did you notice what he tells him to do? He's, he, he says, first of all, don't tell anyone. Just go and, and be quietly obedient to the law of God. 
Offer the gift that Moses commanded as proof of your cleansing. Go before the priest and, and be declared clean. Jesus wasn't going out and, and gathering a lot of followers for himself. You know, he, he could have taken this man and said, look at this man. You know, I cleansed him. Follow me. Think what I could do for you. Rather, he, he sends them away to, to quietly be obedient to the word of God. He wasn't trying to be, get the biggest crowd. Either he was calling this man to simply return to being obedient to the law of God, to go to the temple, to the place where, where you've, he's, he's been barred from for, for, for years, to go to the temple and to, to enter into the presence of God. That's what the temple was for the, the Jews. It was the place of the earthly presence of God. See, Jesus heals us in order to bring us before God the Father as his cleansed people. And that's what, that's what this leper experienced in, in, uh, in, in, I guess, microism that day. Now, our second picture this morning is of the authority of Jesus and, and the outside occupier. Who does Jesus come across, to, come across next? Well, we're next introduced to a Roman centurion. This would be a, a man who is an outsider, not one of God's people. In fact, he was a, a foreign occupier, a military official who uh, was leading an army that, that uh, had taken over the land of God's people and was, was holding them captive, essentially. He would have been considered an enemy of the Jewish people. They would, have, they would have hated him and despised him. But there was nothing they could do about it. And so the centurion comes to Jesus with a problem. He has a, a servant at home. Uh, presumably one he's quite fond of. And he's, he's suffering. He says he, he's laying paralyzed in his bed, suffering terribly. And the thing is, the, the centurion doesn't even get to the ask, does he? He doesn't even get to the point of, of saying, could, could, you, could you help him? Rather, Jesus volunteers, doesn't he? He says, I'll, I'll, come and, I'll come and heal him. But then we get the shocker, don't we? The centurion, who, who again is a, is a Gentile, a person that was despised by the Jews and, and, and was unworthy of, of God's affection. The centurion says to Jesus, actually, you don't need to come to my house. I'm, I'm not worthy of you coming into my home. And I understand what it is to, to have great authority. He says, I, I have loads of, of people who, who are under my authority. He says to, to Jesus, Jesus, you have, you have real authority. And you can simply say to this disease the kind of things that I say to, to the men under my authority. Do this, and it will do it. He says to Jesus, Jesus, you can, you can treat this disease, you can command this disease the way I command a man. This is actually astonishing. Because this man, out of all the people gathered there that day, all the people there who would claim to be God's people, this centurion actually understands Jesus in a, in a profound way. He recognizes his authority over everything, even disease. He knows that Jesus doesn't even need to come to his house to heal the servant. He just has to, to command it. When you stop and listen to this man's perspective, it's remarkable what we learn about Jesus, isn't it? You see, the centurion reveals to us that Jesus is a proper ruler. 
that he's the king over absolutely everything, even disease. And he doesn't even want Jesus to come to his house because, because he doesn't feel worthy. I mean, who is this, this centurion, this man next to Jesus? He's just an outside, an outsider. He's a minor military official of a military force who's, who's occupying a land that isn't his own. Sure, it was the most powerful military force of his day, but what's that compared to the king of all creation? And this is when we hear Jesus minister to both the centurion and his servant. What does he say to, to the centurion? He's, he says it actually to everyone who's gathered there that day. We'll look back at verses 10 through 12. He says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says that, that he came to God's people, the Jews to the, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this hated man is the one where he's, he's found true faith. He declares that this, this man and the people like him, people from all over the world, people from, from the far east to the, to the far west, in that you can include north and south, all of it. He declares that, that uh, all these people from all over the world, people like you and I, are going to dine at the table with these, these patriarchs, these, these three men who are, are so closely uh, 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 aligned are, 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 are you know, the, the fathers of the Jewish people, these people that, that the Jews so identified with. While the Jews of Jesus' day, the, the people that Jesus came to are going to be, experience the judgment of God. That's both wonderful and a stark warning, isn't it? The outsiders are being brought in, and the insiders are being pushed out. Now, what's the difference between insiders in the kingdom of God and outsiders? Well, Jesus says it, it isn't birth. It isn't, it isn't education. It isn't how we feel about ourselves or others. It isn't whether whether someone's thought to be on the right side of history or not. The only thing, the only difference when it comes to the kingdom of God is the object of, of the, the person's faith. It is recognizing the authority of God's Messiah, Jesus, and trusting in Him alone. And you see, this, this centurion that day didn't go away more loved by the Jewish people. He didn't go away more respected by the people whose nation he occupied. But he did go away having experienced the grace of Jesus. He went away with a, a small taste of what it is to live under the reign of the true king. Where disease is healed and sinners, outsiders, are promised a welcome at the table of the Lord. And we see this reinforced in our, in our third and final scene this morning, where we see the, the authority of Jesus, the divine insider. In this final scene, we, we see uh, the divine authority, the, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, enter into the home of, of one of his closest followers, Peter. 
when he arrives, he finds Peter's mother-in-law unwell. We don't, we don't hear, hear them asking him to do anything for her. He simply reaches out and touches her and heals her. Then she gets up and, and cares for him, serves him, as he spends the evening there healing whoever is, is brought to him. And Matthew grounds these healings again in the, the prophetic word of God. He invites us to, to look at these healings we've, we've looked at this morning and to draw the same conclusion that, that he draws. That Jesus has a, a divine authority consistent with and grounded in the promises of God. That he's the one that the prophets have been speaking about all this time. He, he quotes the prophet Isaiah saying that, that this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. That he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. What would you expect when the, the divine God who may often seem distant to you and far away, what would you expect when that divine God becomes the divine insider? A God who takes on our flesh and dwells among us. Who becomes intimate with his creatures who've wandered so far from him. What would you expect that to look like? I think it would look exactly like what we see this morning, wouldn't it? And I want to suggest three things that we can that we can expect from Jesus based on these scenes we've looked at. That Jesus is the divine insider. First we see that Jesus has real authority. That's the main point, again, that Matthew's been driving at. And he punctuates it with this, this closing quote from Isaiah. Jesus bears the divine mark of authority. The leper saw it. The centurion recognized it. Peter's mother-in-law experienced it. Who else could take our illnesses and bear our diseases other than the one with divine authority to do so? Second, we should appreciate, we should appreciate the beauty of what Jesus is doing here. You know, if the, if the divine became an insider, if he dwelt among us, we would expect to see beauty, wouldn't we? And that's what we see here. Disease is one of the, the main ways we, we feel the brokenness of our world, don't we? Jesus is, is reversing that brokenness. He's taking the, the frayed fra- fabric of our world and he's, he's weaving it back together with his, with his power and authority, as well as his love and grace. And that's a wondrous thing, isn't it? It's really important for us to see it and to get it. That Jesus values the people he's created. And so he heals rather than replaces. When something's broken, what do you do with it? You know, if, if a, a piece of clothing tears, what do you do? Most of us either throw it out or take it to, to the charity shop, don't we? It's, it's much easier to do that than to try and fix it. But what does Jesus do? He, he restores, doesn't he? He repairs. He heals the broken. And we see it in action in these scenes. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing that we have to stop and take account of. Now, third and finally, we, we see lastly the intimacy of Jesus with those that he loves. He is the divine outsider who enters in and becomes our, our divine insider. And we've seen three pictures of, of Jesus' intimate love for those he cares for this morning. He, he touches the untouchable. He promises entrance to his table to the, to the outsider. And he enters into the, the home of, of those he is closest with. 
and he brings real healing and real fellowship. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus is, is a Savior who wants to draw near to you, and he wants you to draw near to him and be found in him. And that's actually what we, what we see at the table before us this morning. That the promise that he made to that, that centurion so long ago, you and I get a taste of the fulfillment of it here this morning. No matter your brokenness, no matter the disease of sin you suffered under, if you recognize the authority of Jesus, if you come before him in faith, then Jesus invites you this morning to come to his table, to know the the intimacy of, of his love for you, to experience the healing work in your heart. Let us pray.